Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So we have been preaching through the book of Genesis. And I was talking with one of our pastors this last week and uh, something that stood out to us about Genesis as we've been going through the book is just how dysfunctional these families are. Have you noticed that as we've been reading about um, Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob and Esau? I mean, uh, it really gives me hope uh, and should give you hope, right? As you go through the holidays and you're together with family, right? And uh, these, these families are not your hallmark families. Uh, there's lots of dysfunction. Uh, and uh, currently we're in the Jacob narrative. If you remember the story, Isaac and Rebecca have twins. The twins are named Jacob and Esau. Uh, they're born uh, Jacob grasping Esau's heel as they come out of the womb. And, uh, and so from the very beginning, right, they're kind of set against one another. And it doesn't help that each parent has their favorite, uh, that Isaac loves Esau the most, Rebecca loves Jacob uh, the most. And um, we talked about how uh, uh, Jacob tricks uh, Esau into giving away his, his birthright over a bowl of soup. Uh, and then uh, something we, we didn't read in the passage, but I think Ray alluded to, is that Esau married two Hittite women, and, uh, which he wasn't supposed to do. He was, he was uh, in a sense, doing that to, uh, to spite his parents. And it says in the passage that those women gave uh, um, Isaac and uh, Rebecca, uh, gave them a terrible time and uh, was a burden to them. And then we saw last week how uh, Jacob stole the blessing from his brother, right, by dressing up and, uh, and tricking his aging father and, uh, and stealing uh, the blessing from him. And now here's where we find the story. Here's what's happened. Uh, we read in Genesis there, it says that now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And so Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. And so Rebecca goes to Isaac. She tells Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like Esau has, like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So then Isaac called in Jacob and blessed him and directed him and said, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Haran, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. 
And then he reemphasizes the blessing. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. So there it is, right? There's the, the story. Jacob steals the blessing. Esau wants to kill him. And so uh, Rebekah says, uh, I, he cannot marry a Hittite woman. He must, you must leave in order to not be killed, in order to not marry one of those women. He's sent off uh, back to go find her brother Laban. And so Jacob now is essentially a fugitive on the run. Jacob is, is leaving his hometown as a fugitive from his brother. Up to this point in the story, we've seen that Jacob has shown Uh, not shown any fruit of godliness. There is no evidence that Jacob believes in God, trusts God, or even wants God. And yet he's supposed to be the one who carries the promises of his grandfather Abraham, right? The, The carrier of the blessing. And so the future is uncertain, right? Is this going to be the end of the line? Is there going to be grace for Jacob? So if you're willing and able, would you stand? And uh, we'll read, I'll read from Genesis 28, our passage for this morning. Genesis uh, 28, starting at verse 10. So Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your grandfather, and the God of Isaac, your father. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. 
Holy Spirit, would you uh, open our hearts, uh, minds, um, to receive your word uh, for us this morning, to see Jesus and to worship him. We pray in his name, amen. All right, you may be seated, please. So uh, I, have a, I have a rule, it's a personal rule. It's, um, it's really more like a law. It's actually the 11th commandment. Uh, you know, like this, the Discovery Channel, uh, those shows where they found this long lost book of the Bible and, uh, and they, they discover that there's actually an extra commandment tacked on at the end. It says, thou shalt not play Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, right? Thou shalt not play Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. I mean, to me, this is like a universal truth. Uh, uh, obvious, right? Christmas has a very defined window. But some people say, no, Christmas is a season, right? It kind of bleeds over. Uh, and, um, but I, I find it hard to have grace for people who put on Mariah Carey in October. Um, it's just not right. And I try, to, I try to understand, you know, I try to be understanding of those who commit this unforgivable sin. Maybe they didn't have, you know, good parents growing up. Uh, maybe there was some trauma in their past. Uh, maybe they're just not really saved. Um, there are some people I find it hard to have grace for. How about you? I wish it was just, you know, silly things like Christmas music. The truth is I find it hard to have grace for people who struggle with things that I don't. Sometimes I don't have patience for people who are in process. How about you? A spouse that battles depression, a family member that succumbs to addiction, a friend that says hurtful, things. And I also find it hard to have grace for myself because like the Apostle Paul said, I don't do the things that I want to do and the things that I don't want to do are the very things that I find myself doing. It turns out that we are all in process. None of us can claim to have arrived, right, emotionally or mentally or spiritually. It's, it's the biggest challenge that I have whenever I'm with a couple in marriage counseling. My biggest challenge is to get the husband or to get the wife to see that they, uh, that the other spouse is not the biggest problem in their marriage, right? To stop blaming the other person. It's my biggest challenge is to get, to get them to realize that it's not the other person's fault. The best marriages are the ones in which both people believe that they are the biggest problem, that they're the biggest sinner. Those are the marriages that actually thrive. We are all in process. We're all in process. Some people think that your spiritual journey when you become a Christian should look something like this, right? But the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, our spiritual journeys look more like this. So here's the question, 
Is there grace for people in process? Is there grace for people in process? Religion says that grace is only for those who get it all right. That the blessing comes to those who figured things out and don't struggle. But the Bible and Christianity tell a different story. You remember, um, we're reading Genesis, right? And who wrote Genesis? Do you remember? Moses. Moses wrote Genesis. And who did he write Genesis to? Who was the original audience? The Israelites who were um, preparing to enter the promised land. They're getting ready to go into the promised land, ultimately under Joshua's leadership. And Moses writes the first five books of the Bible. He writes Genesis to tell them where they came from, um, who, their, you know, who their family is, how, the God that made them. Uh, and um, here are the, you know, the people of God. What's happened to them? They've been brought out of Egypt. And right when God delivers them miraculously out of Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, what do they do? They build a golden calf and they start to worship it uh, before the Ten Commandments even come to them, right? They, are, they go into the wilderness and spend most of their time complaining and griping and whining uh, against uh, the Lord. Uh, and here is now they're hearing about Jacob, who later will be called Israel. Right? This is their patriarch. This is their spiritual father. Right? The whole nation of Israel right, comes from him. And these people who've, who've come through all of this, what do they hear about Jacob? What kind of spiritual father is he? Well, Jacob was you know, uh, fasting and praying in a monastery and waiting on God. He was devoting himself to helping the poor and doing good deeds. He had climbed the spiritual ladder all the way to the top and God has now rewarded him with blessing. Is that the story? No. What they hear rings true to them because they're in process too. Jacob was a liar, a deceiver, and now a fugitive on the run for his life. He probably didn't even believe a word of what his dad had told him when his dad gave him the blessing. Why? Because he knew that it wasn't meant for him. He knew he meant it for his brother. And so here's Jacob um, leaving town, running away, not appearing to be repentant, not looking for God. He stops in some place because it's dark and there's nothing around except a bunch of rocks. He's like the prodigal son who has found his way into the pigsty. The, the external circumstances around him match what's going on inside of him. Jacob is weary, despondent, disillusioned, completely unworthy, and he is the perfect candidate for what? For grace. In this moment of his life, Jacob is the perfect candidate for grace. God reveals himself to Jacob out of sheer grace, this is the, the first of two encounters that Jacob will have with the Lord, um, spanned out by about 20 years. Uh, and um, this, this marks the beginning of Jacob's spiritual journey. And right from the beginning, we learn that there is grace for people in process, which is really good news, because that means that there's grace for you and for me. Um, so take your bulletin. Open it to the inside cover. There you will find a sermon outline still in process. <laughs> the Lord shows 
grace to Jacob by promising him three things, presence, protection, and a place. People in process need the grace of presence, protection, and place. Let's just remind ourselves again of the story, the first part of it. Look look again at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba. He went toward Haran, and on the way, he stopped at a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of that place. He put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. I would dream too if I was sleeping on a rock. Uh, Crazy dreams, right? And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your grandfather, the God of Isaac, your father. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The Lord appears to Jacob in a dream. And in this dream, Jacob sees a ladder. And the base of this ladder is on the earth and the top of the ladder reaches uh, to heaven. Most Old Testament scholars say it probably wasn't a ladder like what you use to climb up onto your roof. Um, It was uh, stairway is a better translation. So not so much uh, like this uh, picture, right, as you try to envision what's going on, Jacob's ladder, but more like this, right, like a, like a ziggurat, a pyramid-like structure, which, by the way, is probably what the Tower of Babel looked like. Not, not a tall, skinny tower, but like this, like more of a, a ziggurat. Uh, and why did they build the Tower of Babel? to try to reach up to heaven, right? to try to bridge the gap between God and man. And so in the same way, the stairway in Jacob's dream illustrated not that Jacob had built, built his way up to God, but that God had come down to Jacob. God had bridged the gap between them. Verse 13 says that the Lord stood above the stairway. The Hebrew says the Lord stood above it. Um, but there's, a, there's another rendering that says um, the Lord stood beside him, meaning not that God was at the top of the ladder, but that God had actually come down, right? He'd come down the stairway, he'd come down the ladder and was standing beside Jacob. The, the big idea here is that God wants a relationship with Jacob. God wants a relationship with him and he initiates it. He's the initiator. This is a supreme display of divine grace. And he repeats the promises that were made to his grandfather and to his father. And then he adds in verse 15, behold, I am with you. I'm with you. God graciously gives Jacob the promise of his presence. Over and over again in the Bible, we read about this, right? God promises his presence to his people. When you pass through the waters, right? When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you stumble and when you falter, I will be with you. Now think about it. 
For people in process, there is power in presence. Right? For people in process, there is power in presence. Um, we've told you the story before about uh, a pastor uh, in our denomination. If I told you his name, you would recognize him because he's well-known. He's written several books. Uh, he leads a very um, successful church in a big city. From all external points of view, he seems to be doing well. But this pastor also struggles deeply with depression. Right? And uh, and at one point uh, just felt like I, I can't, can't even get out of bed, can't go on, and uh, was so racked with it that he told his wife, you know what, they're gonna, uh, I, I can't do this anymore. They're gonna put me into a padded room and close the door and lock it and throw away the key. To which his wife said, if they put you in a padded room and close the door and lock it and throw away the key, I will go and live with you in that padded room. And he said that was the moment when he began to, to come out of it. Because there's, for people in process, there's power in presence. Right? That, that's, the, that's really the, the whole point of the traditional marriage vows. Right? Those ones that you're so familiar with. Uh, not so much that you're vowing and that you're saying, I love you now, but that you're saying, I will love you even into the future. Right? in joy and in sorrow, in plenty and want, right? Um, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live, I will be with you. Christmas is about the promise of divine presence for people who are in process. Matthew wrote in his gospel, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God said to Jacob, I will not leave you until I have accomplished everything that I have promised. It sounds a lot like what Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I will not leave you. I love this quote from James Montgomery Boyce. He says, as we look at Jacob's experience, I want you to see that God is also with you. You may be on the verge of a mental collapse, but although you cannot sense it, God is with you right now. You may be quite ill. You may be misunderstood by your friends. You may be abandoned by a husband, a wife, or your children. Even the church may have turned its back on you. You may have lost a job. You may feel, uh, be discouraged. You may have so little self-worth that you feel that no one will ever care for you again. You may even be listening to the old Yiddish proverb, if one man calls you a donkey, pay him no heed. If two men call you a donkey, pay them no heed. If three men call you a donkey, buy a saddle. You may be ready to do that. You may have already bought the saddle. I want you to hear God speaking. Where you are right now, I am with you. How would it change you if you really believed that God was with you always? He's with you always. He never gets to the point where he's tired of you and says, I've had it. I'm done. I'm out of here. 
How would believing that change you? And how could giving your presence to someone who is in process communicate the love of Christ to them and change them? For people in process, presence is powerful. Jesus loves to be with people in process. That's why he came. People in process need the grace of presence. And second, people in process also need the grace of protection. That's what the Lord promised to Jacob. Uh, Look again at what he said. He said, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. The Hebrew word keep uh, is, uh, um, can be also translated guard, right? I will guard you, I will protect you wherever you go. And the vision that Jacob had reinforced this concept. Um, you know, he saw angels, the angels of God, and they weren't just sitting on the steps, relaxing, Right? They were ascending and descending, traveling back and forth between the earth and heaven. Hebrews 1.14 says, angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. John Calvin said that the angels are the dispensers and administrators of the divine beneficence toward us. They regard our safety, undertake our defense, direct our ways and exercise a constant solicitude that no evil befall us. Jacob sees angels ascending and descending. It's like in sports, right? When you um, uh, have uh, people on, on the team, like parts of the team go off the field and a new part of the team comes on the field, right? Jacob sees this continual flow of Protection, this constant flow of God's protection being sent to the earth, a constant supply of guarding and keeping. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's the story one time of the prophet Elisha, and Elisha would uh, consult with the king of Israel and tell him what the king of Syria was doing. And so because of that, the king of Syria would try to attack Israel, but Israel was always one step ahead of them and, and uh, would defeat them in battle. And so the king of Syria was really frustrated by this and he asked his advisors, why does it seem like they know what we're thinking and we can't get an edge? And they say, well, it's because of Elisha, the prophet. Elisha talks to God and knows these things. And so the king of Syria goes to surround Elisha, the prophet, uh, and, um, and, and uh, Elisha and his servant, is, they wake up and his servant looks out and they, they realize that an entire army, right, is camped around them. This, the Syrians are there. And, and his servant says, what are we going to do? Um, and, and Elisha says, have no fear. And he prays to the Lord and he asks the Lord that he would open his servant's eyes. And he does. And his servant looks and he sees that around this army of Syrians is an army of angels camped around them, Right? And he realizes that they're safe. God protects his people. God's promise of protection to Jacob is all of grace. You know, he didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. Neither do we deserve it. We are a mess. But God has promised to keep us. 
And look at Jacob, how even after receiving this promise from God, this amazing promise, look at how he continues to be in process still. It says, then Jacob made a vow, okay? And he says, if God will be with me and keep me in this way, if? He's just promised you, right? Okay, God, if you will do this, if you'll keep me, and, and if you will give me bread to eat, and if you will give me clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house, then, then you shall be my God. Right? Jacob's still in process. He's still trying to make sense of these things. He's, in a sense, bargaining uh, with God, not fully believing the promise, not really resting in it, um, but still hesitating, right? God, if you'll, if you'll give me these things, if you'll uh, protect me, uh, then you'll be my God. Uh, so uh, we had a, a couple months ago, we had a car accident, uh, and uh, um, uh, my wife, two, and the kids were, uh, two of the kids were in the car. Uh, the car was totaled in the accident. They, praise the Lord, were okay. And uh, so we're sitting at the table, just like a week ago, and we're we're uh, dinner table. We're going through this children's theology book, and one of the parts of the book it talks about um, uh, that God is all powerful, and and one of the ways we know that is because He sends His angels to protect us. And so and so I said, "Hey kids, you realize that God protected you." in that car accident, right? Maybe he had an angel there protecting you, keeping you safe. And our youngest, who's almost six, um, very logically said, but we got in an accident. (laughs) How did God protect us? If he was gonna protect us, we wouldn't have gotten in an accident. I mean, he's a very logical kid, right? Um, And... uh, he had, he's going to have to learn the same lesson that Jacob is going to have to learn. Right? That protection doesn't mean that life always goes the way you think it's going to go. Protection doesn't mean that there's never any accidents. Um, you can't put conditions on God, right? You can't say, God, I'll follow you if you make my life go a certain way. Because Jacob's life going forward from this point is not pretty. Jacob goes through this, we'll see next week, this crazy interaction with uh, Laban and um, marrying um, two women, Rachel and Leah, and, uh, and all the drama that comes from that. You realize that Jacob's kids, um, one of his, his kids is Joseph, right? And Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. Well, you, you know, the... The apples don't too, fall too far from the tree there, right? The f- sibling rivalry and family drama gets passed down uh, all the way to Jacob's uh, children. Um, Jacob must learn that God doesn't promise that life will be easy, but he does promise to keep him and guard him and protect him. It's his providential watch care over his people, his orchestrating and working all things for their ultimate good. You think, why, why do angels feature so prominently in the Christmas story? Have you noticed that? There are angels appearing to shepherds and appearing to Joseph and Mary. I mean, it's all over the place, right? Um, because the Christmas story is about God actively acting um, decisively 
to fulfill his promise to protect his people, to move all of history towards its ordained end, and not just by sending angels, but by sending his own son. So when you are in process, when you're a person in process, you need to remember that God hasn't forgotten his promise to keep you because it can feel that way. You're in process and it can feel like, God, you promised to keep me. And he says, I know, and I am. Um, But God, it doesn't feel like it. I know, I am. I like this song um, from a Christian artist named Torrin Wells. The song is called Joy in the Morning. Here's a couple of lines from it. He says, everything happens for a reason, but you don't know what you don't know. If it doesn't make sense right now, it will when it's over. Because grace will be there when you come to the end of your rope and you let go. It may feel like you're going down now, but the story isn't over. There will be joy in the morning. If it's not good, then he's not done. No, he's not done with it yet. If it's not good, then he's not done because he promised to protect you. If you're in process, remember that the Lord will protect you. He will keep you and guard you wherever you go. To people in process, God graciously gives his presence and his protection. And then uh, third and finally, God gives Jacob and he gives us a place. Um, Did you notice in the passage, there's a strong emphasis on place? Uh, Look back at the text. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. He had his dream and then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel, which means house of God. Deep inside of us, inside of all of us, is a longing for a place. We all long for a place where it is like we have entered into the very heart of heaven. Just like Jacob, right, said, the Lord is here awesome is this place? We all long for that. And we have all had um, experiences in our lives sometimes like Jacob. Um, I've had experiences like that. Uh, The truth is God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But there are times when the Spirit opens our eyes to see it, right, and experience it. Um, I experienced it this year. Uh, earlier in the year, in, in April, I, was, I had been asked to go speak at a men's retreat for another church. And, um, uh, and, and, and I was kind of uh, um, just starting to come out of uh, a, a season of feeling depressed. 
and, uh, and, and I was speaking on joy out of the book of Philippians. And I'd, I'd been asked to go to this retreat. It was at a place called Montreat, North Carolina. And I'd heard about Montreat my whole life. Uh, I'd wanted to go there my whole life. This beautiful conference center set up in the, in the mountains. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's like you, when you're up there, the stone buildings, it feels like you're, it's like Lord of the Rings or something. And, and so I go up there, it's April and it snows. I mean, it's just magical. And I'm, I'm preaching on Philippians and the Lord meets me in a, in a really special way there. And I think, how awesome is this place? And you've had those experiences too. Um, But God is not more there than he is here right now. I don't need to go to the mountains to meet with God. Jacob names the place Bethel, house of God. He then tries to set it apart as sacred. Um, you know what happens with, with Bethel uh, in Israel's history? Um, Bethel becomes one of the places where when the, the kingdom of, of Israel splits, Jeroboam, the king of the north, uses Bethel as a uh, location to put a golden calf to try to draw the people of God away into false worship. Bethel, the house of God, becomes known as Beth-Avon, the house of wickedness. Um, You see, there's something about physical places that they can't contain what our hearts are really looking for. You've had these experiences where you feel like, how awesome is this place? God met me in this place. And then you go back to that place sometime later and it's just not quite the same, right? Because it's not about the place. Places, physical places, um, can't contain what our hearts are really looking for, and that is intimacy with God. The psalmist prayed, he said, better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. We have people who leave Seven Rivers after being here for a season of life, and they go, you know, up north and uh, wherever, and um, sometimes they'll come back to visit, and they'll say, uh, I, just, I just haven't been able to find a place like Seven Rivers. And that sounds like a compliment, and I know what they're saying, but it's actually really sad because it's not about the place. Physical places can't contain what our hearts are looking for. We try to make it do it, but, but it doesn't work. It always lets us down. Why? What is the place that our hearts long for? The place that our hearts long for is not a building, not a physical place, it's a person. The place that our hearts long for is a person and that person goes with us wherever we go. In John 1, 51, Jesus said to Nathanael, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened like Jacob did. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. You're going to have a vision like Jacob. You're going to see the very heart of heaven. And you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on me. Why? Because Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the place. 
Jesus is the way that we experience God. Jesus is the perfect Bethel, the perfect house of God. Jesus is what our hearts long for. He is the gate of heaven. One day the whole earth will be transformed and filled with the glory of God. And we will constantly be in his presence. We will experience the perfect place. But now in part, we experience that every time we come to Jesus. Every time we come to Jesus, right? We come to the place that our hearts long for. How awesome, how awesome it is when you come to Jesus. We started the sermon by saying that we are all people in process. What do people in process need? Religion says that people in process just need more effort. They need to try harder. Um, Look at how one Jewish rabbi interpreted this story. He said, a man does not always remain at the same stage. He's always ascending and descending. When he reaches the top, he must concern himself with the probability that he will fall. When he reaches the bottom, he must strive once again to climb to the top. That is the nature of man. When the soul of a man is in its darkest night, he must strive constantly for new light. When one thinks there is only an end, that is when one must struggle for the new beginning. That's what religion says. Strive, struggle, climb. You have to climb Jacob's ladder. You have to get to God. The good news of the gospel is that you can't climb up to God, but he has come down to you. There is grace for people who are in process because in Jesus, we get God's presence. We get God's protection and we get the place that our hearts have always longed for. And one day that process will be complete and we will spend all eternity magnifying the grace of our Lord. So maybe we should sing Christmas songs all year long. Let's let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the place. You are the ladder. You are that which our hearts long for. And as we go through this life and process, um, would you draw us to yourself? Would you remind us of your presence in our lives and your protection, constant watch care over us? Especially this Advent season, would you draw us closer to yourself? Give us a a fuller love for you. We pray in your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.